0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the episode 91 of Solid Saturday. Our today's guest, Howard Crossfire, has worked, laid, and created an immersive collection of successful mining projects over a career spanning 30-plus years. Along with mining projects, he led a family-owned business advisory firm, Crossfire Enterprises Incorporation since 1989. As a visionary leader and expert in hydrocarbon extraction business, Howard led the Cadence Resources Corporations between 1994 and 2006. As president and director of Cadence, he oversaw the eventual merger with an AMEX listed company in 2005. As an entrepreneur, he founded and led High Plains Uranium in 2004, which was acquired by Energy Metal Corporation in 2006. Vice President Treasurer Director, So please just join me and welcome Howard on our today's episode. Let's just explore his career journey. How did he find his area of interest and managing to lead that? Hey, hi Howard. Very happy to have you on the show and uh, really a very warm welcome to be my guest on the Soul Lead Saturday podcast.
1: Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure is all mine. And to begin with, we have a very general segment, which is more about you know how did you find your passion or the interest uh, in any particular area? So for you, the question is how did you find your interest in specific field like hydrocarbon extraction actually, which is mining and natural resource industry? And what motivates you to be where you are today?
1: Okay, well, you know I, I sort of I sort of stumbled into it early in my career. Uh, I, was, uh, I had a job working for United Nuclear Corporation, we were a uranium mining company, and we had developed some special instrumentation for direct assay of metals, particularly uranium in situ, where we had uh, problems with our own mines, in in New Mexico, the ore bodies were in disequilibrium, we needed a way to, to assay for uranium directly, and we later expanded that also to other metals, including silver and, and whatnot, and... Um, I got exposed to mining projects around the world. I became very, very interested in the industry, even though I didn't have a background in geology or mining engineering. Um, And I sort of gravitated to the business side of mining projects early on. And then later on, that expanded into oil and gas. And for a time, I was a chief executive officer of a small oil and gas company that ended up getting bought out by a much larger company later on. So I've really worked in uh, in the extractive industry since the early nineteen eighties, in both mining projects and oil and gas projects, but but probably primarily in mining.
0: Uh huh. That's great, actually, and you know, really very happy to have you because it is very specific industry, which is oil and gas, as you mentioned. And uh, when we talk a lot more about climate change and everything, right? People talk a lot more about these days about the energy, right? So absolutely, yeah. Really, very happy to have you. Uh, Moving towards our next segment is about questions from the audience, and we have a couple of questions actually because we had a a more response for this particular. So, first question that we have is: a world without inflation. What is a stable money environment, and what is it like live in one?
1: Okay, this is a very interesting question, and I'm glad uh, you're your listener asked it, because I think it's 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 a question that is, that is vastly overlooked by most people.
2: Mm-hmm. If we
1: think back over the last, or oh, even 25 years, our Federal Reserve Chairman at the Central Bank of the United States have talked about targeting 2% inflation. I mean, you all remember that. Powell currently mm-hmm. says the Fed's target is 2% inflation. Yellen said that before him, Bernanke before her, and Greenspan before that. They all say they want to target 2% inflation. I find this fascinating because essentially what they're saying when they say they're targeting 2% inflation is that they're planning to confiscate 2% of everyone's money every year through inflation. They're depreciating the value of the currency by 2%, and effectively, that's an inflation tax on society that harms the poorest members of society the most. The the waitress who is trying to support two kids on a waitress's salary on tips and minimum wage, um, 2% inflation takes a terrible toll on somebody at the bottom end of the economic spectrum. Mm -hmm. Now, to get back to your focus of your question, Mm -hmm. what does a society look like without an inflation bias? And, and this is a, there's, there actually is a remarkable example because in, in, the, in Britain from about 1700 until the outbreak of World War I, which would have been 1914, Britain's pound sterling was on a solid gold standard. And so for over 200 years, they mm-hmm. had stable money with no inflation. So in fact, During that period, they embossed the price of a first-class postage stamp on brass plaques in the post office in England because it never went up. It was two shillings for 200 years to mail a first-class letter. Mm -hmm. Now, what did that mean for society as a whole? What that meant was with stable money backed by gold, as productivity gains increased across British society. Mm-hmm. Everyone in British society was becoming better off every year because you had stable money. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you had gently falling prices across the board as productivity produced more goods and services. So the prices of things went slightly down every year against the stable money. Mm-hmm. That is what a virtuous money cycle looks like. Now, let me give you just another example. We hear a lot in the United States today about. A need to increase the minimum wage.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a lot
1: of talk about a $15 an hour minimum wage, right? You've heard mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember as an 11 year old boy in 1963, so I'm dating myself as quite elderly here, but I used to mow lawns for money. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd take my lawn mower and I'd go over to the neighbors and I'd cut the grass. And they would pay me uh, an hour's wage for mowing their lawn, a dollar and a quarter. That was the minimum wage.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: They often paid me by handing me five quarters for my dollar and a quarter's effort of mowing the grass. Well, if I worked an hour today and somebody gave me five 1963 quarters, Mm -hmm. they would be giving me about $25 worth of compensation in silver. So what we've done is we've destroyed the value of the money through fiat currency. Over over time, mm-hmm. first by abandoning the bi-metal standard in 1964, when we did away with silver in the currency, and then of course later when we abrogated the Bretton Woods Agreement in 1971 and Nixon took us off the gold standard, the dollar was no longer convertible into gold in the international markets. So we have now the opposite mm-hmm. of a virtuous money society, uh, cycle. We have an inflationary cycle that has been profound. The Federal Reserve was nominally created in 1913, uh, authorized by Congress in the dead of night, right before Christmas, mm-hmm. to um, preserve the value of the dollar. That was their stated mission. And since that time, the dollar has lost 97% of its purchasing power. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, an, there's a real interesting uh, happenstance. Mm-hmm. In 1920, Gold was fixed at $20.67 an ounce. The Treasury would redeem every ounce of gold at $20.67. Exactly 100 years later, in June of 2020, the gold price in nominal terms hit $2,067, which was a very interesting number because it it meant that over that 100-year period, gold price had actually increased 10,000% in dollar terms, if you can imagine, 10,000% from 2067 to 2067 in 100 years. Mm-hmm. So back to your original question, mm-hmm. a virtuous money cycle is one where the money is stable, there's no inflation, and everybody becomes better off as productivity produces more goods and services across society. hmm
0: Wow. So this is like very good to know, you know, uh, because uh, hardly people can understand how the inflation of the money happens and how we can achieve that stable environment. So thank you so much for sharing that. One more question that we have is about the Federal Reserve. How the creature from Jerkle Island is making Americans poorer and eroding the dollar? You mentioned a couple of things, actually, but uh, it is really very specific about it.
1: Yeah, there there was a book uh, that I read some years ago called The Creature from Jekyll Island, but this was the creation of the Federal Reserve. (laughs) I I would wager that probably a substantial majority of Americans, for instance, as well as people in other parts of the world, do not realize that the Federal Reserve is not part of the United States government. It's a private bank owned by a cabal of international money center banks. The mm-hmm. Federal Reserve is owned by Chase Manhattan Bank, Citibank, Barclays, the Rothschilds, Swiss Bank Corp. Mm-hmm. These are big international money center banks that own the Federal Reserve. And by the Federal Reserve Act of 1913, Federal Reserve was granted the ability by Congress to create and manage the money supply of the United States. Hence, Mm -hmm. the Federal Reserve notes. And the fact that it's called the Federal Reserve leads people to believe that it's part of the United States government. It is not. The Federal Reserve was created in order to enrich the banks. Mm -hmm. And it has done a spectacular job of that, enriching the banks and the bankers at the expense of the general public. Um, How has it done that? Well, for for instance, um, if we look back to the to the cr- to the crash of two thousand eight, where we had mm-hmm. the real estate implosion that was so um, so aptly described in the movie The Big Short, if you happen to mm-hmm. see that, mm-hmm. a wonderful expose on how the the real estate market got out of control and how the banks profited from that. Mm-hmm. But th- there was a there was a tremendous overhang of very, very bad debt that was floated on the balance sheets of the banks. Mm -hmm. So the Federal Reserve rode to the rescue. Essentially what the Federal Reserve did is it used its power to create money out of thin air, Mm -hmm. and it bought the bad assets that the banks were carrying, the mortgages that were effectively worthless. They swept all those over onto the balance sheet of the Federal Reserve, which has never been audited, by the way. And they bought those bad debts at 100 cents on the dollar, transferred them over to the Federal Reserve, which continued to loan money that was created out of thin air effectively. They loaned that money to the banks at extremely low interest rates, quarter of a percent and whatever. Mm
2: -hmm. Banks
1: turned around and loaned that money to the Treasury Department of the United States government at 2% to fund our gigantic federal deficit Mm-hmm. So effectively, the Federal Reserve was monetizing the federal deficit, but in the same process, they were reliquifying the banks, which had gotten into trouble with these shaky real estate loans. And so the banks had billions of dollars of loans to the Treasury, which were effectively mm-hmm. no-risk loans. They're simply making the spread between what the Fed loaned them the money at and what mm-hmm. they turned around and loaned it to the government. And all of this, of course, defrauded the public of the United States.
2: Oh, wow. So this is really
0: very knowledgeable, you know, uh, and it seems that uh, you did a lot of study around it as well. So thank you so much for sharing it. And uh, one, more impo- one more question actually we have in the same segment, which is about, you know, we are talking about the natural resources. So why metals, why using sound money helps average person prosper?
1: Well, I mean, it's uh, I mean, it's effectively the same the same thing that I discussed when I discussed yeah. the history of Britain. If you if you have sound money, uh, then there's an incentive to save, and you know savers benefit from sound money. Debtors benefit from an inflationary environment, and so since it's been a long time since we had a sound money system, mm-hmm. we've, we've created an, an orgy of debt. Because if you're going to be in an inflationary environment, uh, your savings may not keep pace with the inflation rate. So you're better off to assume debt that you can pay back with, with inflated money later on. That's been sort of the, the inflation idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the average the average individual, the average working man is going to pros- prosper much better in a, in a stable money environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, This is what President Kennedy was in the process of implementing in August of 1963. Wow. Mm -hmm. He issued an order to have the treasury create silver-backed notes that would have competed with the Federal Reserve notes in the open market and would have had a a much more stable monetary system. You see, the United States Constitution mandates that the federal government can only issue gold and silver as money. So if the Federal Reserve was part of the U.S. government, the fiat money that they create would be unconstitutional.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. The founders founders of the American Republic realized the danger of fiat money. They they saw it firsthand with the catastrophe of the monetary system of the uh, Articles of Confederation after the uh, the Revolutionary War.
2: Mm -hmm. They they knew
1: that, that fiat money was a recipe for catastrophe, which is essentially we've gone from, you know, uh, a very modest, very small, and very manageable mm-hmm. federal debt. When the Federal Reserve was created, now we have $30 trillion of, of national debt, which is an unimaginable number. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a number which can never be repaid. Uh, so it's either going to be defaulted or it's going to be inflated away because it cannot be repaid.
0: Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's good, actually. You know, and uh, really
1: it's like Albert Einstein once said. You know, he was a fairly smart guy, Albert Einstein.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, I love a saying of his. He said, "You know, if something cannot continue, it will end."
2: Hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: this this orgy of debt cannot continue, so it will end, and it will end badly. Yeah. Uh, uh, know, for a, unfortunately, for a very large segment of our society, I'm afraid.
0: Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. So thank you so much for sharing it. And definitely, it is very useful and insightful uh, information. So Thank you so much. We're well, we moving towards the next segment, which is more or about like, you know, fun or the relaxation segment. And here, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three keywords uh, which are more or associated with your career or the profile and you have to tell me whatever comes to your mind immediately
2: so it okay. can
0: be a kind of abstract content it can be a replacement keyword or it can be you know something creative if you want to think about once you heard all those three words so are you ready
1: i guess i'm ready
0: <laughs> so the first word keyword that we have is advisor Advisor. Yeah.
1: Um, Well, the first thing that pops into my mind is is you would want to have an advisor that was schooled in Austrian economics. Somebody that understood the value of sound money and the value of uh, sort of a a realistic view of how the economy works. Mm
2: -hmm. That's the first
1: thing that would pop into my mind on an advisor. You certainly wouldn't want a Keynesian advisor.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's a great area <laughs> to have the advisors to be in. So, thank you. Second keyword that we have is mining.
1: Oh, well, mining, of course, is my field. Yeah. Uh, but the first thing that popped into my mind is a discussion that I had yesterday with a good friend of mine. Actually, he's a former governor of one of our Western states. And, and he pointed out that uh, if we really are going to move toward a, uh, a, a much lower carbon footprint, energy picture, in other words, a much larger electrification of the, uh, of the, of the transportation fleet, et cetera, mm-hmm. what this is going to mean is an awful lot more mining of battery metals, which would include things like nickel, zinc, copper, lithium. And this is going to require an enormous investment in the metals mining sector. If we actually are going to move toward electric cars and electrically powered vehicles in any kind of major way, Mm-hmm. Uh, replacing the current transportation fleet. The amount of mining that will have to be done is astounding. Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's great. And the third keyword that we have is vision. Sorry? Vision.
1: The vision. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, my vision isn't quite as good as it used to be. I got to <laughs> wear glasses to see fine print now.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, in terms of my vision for the future, Um, I mean, obviously, I would like to see my vision of the future would be a future where we would continue to respect individual liberty Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: individual liberty, uh, which is something that our republic was founded on in this country. Mm -hmm. um, Largely depends on having honest money. So Mm -hmm. if we could somehow return to an honest money system, backed by precious metals. This would be a very good thing. It would be part of my vision for the future.
0: Wow, this is a great one actually, so thank you so much for sharing and truly it seems that you are a visionary person, uh, which is already mentioned in your introduction as well. So thank you so much. Moving towards our next segment is more or about exploring a little more about your career work or volunteering. So here we are going to cover one question which is more or about your, uh, when I came across your profile, it is about the James. So tell us more about to the audience about James.
1: And how would, oh, sorry,
0: James G E M S.
1: Oh, uh, gold express Mines. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is a company that my partner, John Ryan and I formed a little over a year ago. And we, we basically did it in the, in the, in the heyday of the beginning of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. And we saw the tremendous amount of money creation that was being ramped up by the government. And we thought this is an ideal time to create a portfolio of, U.S. based uh, precious metal mining projects, because we felt like there is going to be a stampede toward precious metals over the next four to five years as it becomes obvious that uh, that inflation is, is is part of our world in a major way, that the expansion of debt is going on at an unprecedented rate. And I think we're, uh, you know, we're not the only ones that are looking at you know much higher Uh, nominal prices for precious metals going forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm often asked, um, what do I think of the price of gold? And I always say, well, gold doesn't have a price. Gold has an exchange rate. Gold is money. That's its only function. It doesn't have any other function. And I said, you know, and moreover, gold is the only money that has no counterparty risk. Mm. The, uh, the US dollar is a liability of the US government. The yen is a liability of the Japanese government. The Euro is a liability of the European Union. Gold mm. is nobody's liability, it's a pure asset. It has no counterparty risk. It is always valuable and always liquid at all times across history. That is its primary function. So uh, I think over time in US dollar nominal terms, Mm -hmm. It's going to take an awful lot more U.S. dollars to buy an ounce of gold. Um, And that may be true in other currencies as well, depending on how profligate their governments happen to be with their printing presses.
0: Wow. So this is really, very good, actually, to learn more about your organization. And uh, I hope that your audience will connect more uh, once they listen to this particular episode. Moving towards one more segment that we have is more or about tips, advice, and here you can support your answer with the books or courses as well. So any tips or advice would you like to give to the students or the professionals who are looking to get into this kind of a area, which is more or about you know, industry with the mining and natural resource and grow into this area or looking at this as their long-term career option?
1: Yeah, well, I, I think, um, you know, obviously, there's there's different there's different parts of our industry. There, there's obviously the technical parts, which involve, you know, a, a serious education in, in, in geology and engineering from schools that have good mining departments, like mm-hmm. Colorado School of Mines, or Montana Tech and Butte, or Mackey School of Mines in Reno, these kind of places that educate mining engineers and geologists, which is an essential part of it. But it Another essential part of it and the part that I'm involved in is the business end of it, which I think really involves an understanding of how projects get financed mm-hmm. and, and also the, the, the being able to look at the at the trends out there in society to determine what are the resources that society is going to demand in the next 10 years, because these projects have a long gestation period. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would certainly recommend, in terms of books, I would certainly recommend, you know, things like *The Road to Serfdom*, uh, or uh, you know, uh, books books from some of the great Austrian School economics. I mean, it's a big tome. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, uh, Ludwig von Mises' *Human Action*, which is 900 pages of the best economic analysis that's ever been done, but it's, it's a pretty tough slog to get through 900 pages of von Mises. Uh-huh. There are there are simpler things, you know works by Henry Hazlitt and others, Uh, I think a firm understanding of Austrian economics is obviously very important. And then then an analysis of of the trends in in resource extraction and and what the metals are. You know, 10 years ago, nobody thought anything about lithium, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, If you'd ask somebody, you know, what's going to be the trend in lithium mining, they'd have looked at you like you were from the moon. Uh, It turns out that you know, we didn't have any idea that lithium would be the basis of the battery technology that's being used in the initial wave of electric vehicles, lithium mm-hmm. and cobalt. Um, so, you know, a, a, an ability to sort of see into the future and understand what, what things are going to be needed that will fulfill the needs of the trend of society going forward is important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, that's, Look, everything we have in this world, look around the room that you're sitting in or the room sitting I'm sitting in.
2: Mm-hmm. Every
1: single thing you see was either grown by a farmer or mined by a miner.
0: Yep, yep, yep. It
1: all came from the earth in one form mm-hmm. or another. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously the computer screen that I'm looking at and that you're looking at contains metal parts, uh, contains glass, which is made from silica. It contains you know, stainless steel, Inside the processor, it contains copper wiring. It contains silver contacts and other me- other metal parts. Um, the chips are made of silica from sand. It goes on and on and on. So there's a vast array of metals from the earth that make up the computer screens we're looking at right now. Mm. Um, the cellular foam that you undoubtedly have in your pocket is... Uh, has a vast array of metal elements in it, including rare earths that we must purchase from China. Mm-hmm. Because at the moment, we have no rare earth production in this country. Um, you know, it goes on and on. So, um, yeah, I guess the ability of, of people to understand uh, you know, what sort of elements are going to be demanded for the technologies mm-hmm. of the future.
2: Mm-hmm. But they
1: will come from the earth. There's no place else for us to get them.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true.
1: And I always love. There was a years ago the the, the um, at the Northwest Mining Convention they used to pass out this bumper sticker, mm-hmm. and it said uh, said Earth first. We'll mine the rest of the planets later. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that is very important, actually. And uh, thank you so much, actually. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And for me also, it is really very knowledgeable uh, to learn more about mining and the oil, gas, energy, uh, different kind of a uh, you know domain that I am looking into. And truly, I'm finding it very insightful. So thank you so much, actually, being a guest. We are moving towards the closure of this particular podcast episode, which is leadership and the way you are talking nonstop. I can see that you know true leader in you, and you are leading your area of interest. So, what is your leadership style, and any specific leader that you always follow and admire, and why?
1: Oh boy, <laughs> um, that's a very interesting question. But I think uh, it's it's very, uh, leadership is is really about the ability to work with other people in a way that they don't feel talked down to, and, but yet they've, they've, they develop a level of respect for your expertise and for your guidance. Mm-hmm. Um, so effective leaders create a teamwork environment around them rather than a dictatorial fashion, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And, it, and I, I always like to use the, the baseball analogy, Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're a baseball fan or not, but, you no. know, it's uh-huh. important in any organization that the leader puts people in the right position that they mm-hmm. can play to their skills. Mm-hmm. So I always use the example of the New York Yankees, you know, for many years, their best player was Derek Jeter. And mm-hmm. They had him play shortstop and bat first. But as good as he was, they never put him on the mound in the ninth inning to get the last three outs. They had a guy named Mariano Rivera. Mm-hmm. They paid a lot of money to just come in and pitch the ninth inning and get the last three outs. Mm-hmm. And as much money as they were paying Mariano Rivera, they never had him bat fourth and play center field. He just pitched the ninth inning. So they, you know, a good baseball manager knows how to put people in the right position. And a good leader in an organization does the same thing. He wow. takes advantage of, he plays people with their strengths and he doesn't ask them to perform tasks that are playing to their weakness. Mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. We have—I have an excellent geologist that I've worked with for years. He's mm-hmm. really quite good, mm-hmm. uh, but he's absolutely awful in terms of presenting his ideas to the investment community.
2: Uh-huh.
1: So we just don't ever let him do that. Mm-hmm. Let him do what he does, and have somebody else do that. right? You see what I mean? So I think it's a leadership is about incorporating a lot of ideas.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're saying that uh, it's more or important to help them to strengthen, like, you know, find out their strength areas and then support them in that particular and grow, uh, help them grow. That is something kind of a leadership style um, is important to have. That is something. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it is more or about encouraging towards the ones, friends, and not you know ignoring the weakness kind of. So thank you so much for sharing that, and this is definitely a very unique style to have. Any specific leader that you always follow or admire, and why? Oh boy.
1: (laughs) Well, uh, that's a good. That's a very good question. I suppose first thing that comes to mind is Winston Churchill. (laughs) <laughs> oh, wow. Uh-huh. Um, and of course, there were, there were a great many famous quotes of Mr. Churchill, who was probably one of the preeminent figures of the 20th century. But I always loved this story. Late in his life, when he was in his mid to late 80s, he was being given an award, uh, Order of the British Empire, for all of his contributions to society. And the Master of Sir, there's a big audience, and the Master of Ceremonies got up and uh, spent about 20 minutes talking about all of his accomplishments and how he had saved Britain in its darkest hour from Nazi tyranny, single-handedly rescued the nation, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Finally, Churchill was given a chance to go to the podium. He looked out at the audience and he said, It was the nation of Britain which had the heart and soul of the lion. Mm-hmm. I was simply fortunate to be the one who's in a position to give it a roar Wow
0: Yeah, so <laughs> thank you so much actually I'm really enjoying this conversation and you're such a knowledgeable person uh, it's really very good to e-meet you at least and thank you so oh, much Yes,
1: I've enjoyed it very much
0: Yeah, This is definitely a valued episode for my podcast so really, really appreciate all your time and consideration being on the show Thank you
1: Oh, thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me.
0: Thank
2: you.
0: (laughs) All right. So this is all about Howard and the way he's managing to lead his area of expertise. Before we close uh, our today's episode, we have a closure quote from Richard Branson. And the quote says, you get the idea. Every business like a painting operates according to its own rules. There are many ways to run a successful company. What works once may never work again. What everyone tells you never to do may just work once. There are no rules. You don't learn to walk by following rules. You learn by doing and by falling over. And it's because you fall over that you learn to save yourself from falling over. It's the greatest thrill in the world and it runs away screaming at the first sight of bullet points. Wow, this is a great one. And on that quote, we are closing today's episode. See you guys in the next episode. Until we meet, happy leading. Let's live lead together. Stay safe. Bye for now.